and welcome to number seven of the All Things Java podcast. I'm Matt Greencroft. And I'm Richard Chesterwood. And if you have listened to the first six and you're still with us, hopefully that means we're doing something right. So thank you for staying with us. Well, I thought we'd do one and then get bored, so I'm amazed we're still here. Well, we're going to have to stay doing them for a bit longer because I've spent quite a bit of time this week getting this podcast onto iTunes, TuneIn Tune and yeah. Stitcher, uh, which has been a little bit of a task, but it, this needs to be worth the effort. So we've got to stay doing the, at least a few more of these. So, I'll be a bit so you have to, I, I no idea how you do syndication of podcasts, but it's something to do with a RSS feed you have to set up. And... So, uh, yes, it's a bit of a challenge. The It seems from what I understand that Apple defined the standard for podcast RSS feeds, mm-hmm. and in order to send a uh, to get an RSS, sorry, to get a podcast onto iTunes, you have to create a feed in the correct format, mm-hmm. and everyone else piggybacks off the back and uses the same feed. Okay. Standard. So, uh, yes, you have to create an RSS feed that has some, I suppose, namespace defined custom fields for for podcasts in iTunes's required format. Yep. Uh, which. If you were doing it by hand, creating a um, XML file would not be the world's greatest challenge. Let's be honest. Okay. Uh, the only other challenge, I think, was that you're you have to supply an image which must be three hundred by three hundred pixels or something okay. ridiculous like that. You but did all of this in Java in a regular Spring Boot app, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the actual website, the All Things Java website, is just a Spring Boot app with Time Leaf and a MySQL backend. Nothing special at all. Um, so in order to create the podcast, rather than coding up some XML, um, I thought we'd use one of the uh, tools out there to allow you to do it, which is called Roam Tools. I'm not actually quite sure why it's called Roam. I'm sure that stands oh, for something. I did know. Okay. We can look we'll put that up, up in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah, so um, it, it was a bit frustrating because there's a lot of documentation online about this is what a podcast feed should look like, by example. Mm-hmm. Apple say you must comply with the specification, but don't tell you what the specification <laughs> is. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, but there are a couple of feed validators out there. But the Rome Tools documentation, um, they give you a specific uh, set of classes to build podcast feeds, right? Yep. So, But the documentation on that is very sparse and is more around how to use it to parse an existing feed rather than to create one. So it was a bit of a hackathon, trial and error to get it to work, but it does. Great work. You were were musing about, should we open source this platform and stick it on GitHub? Yeah, I I mean, when it's on GitHub, obviously in our private repository, I was just wondering, having... This is the first thing that I've done on it that I think actually... It, I couldn't find a good working example of how to build a feed mm-hmm. and thought, well, as we've done it, yeah, brilliant. Why not? let's make it open source. Um, Do a video uh, on it as well. Absolutely, to, to go with nice it. Nice one. Uh, it would be a bit of a one-off video because obviously it's a very sort of bespoke topic, but we can do that. It is, but presumably I, the, the, the Spring Boot would come with it as well. So it's a good working example of a real Spring Boot. It is. And, and I mean, why, why did we bother? Because actually... All that the All Things Java website is, when you look at it, is a blog, really. Yeah. It's a combination of your blog, my blog, and a effectively a blog for the podcasts. So there's nothing particularly special there. And I guess we should probably answer the question, why didn't we just use something like WordPress? Hmm. Why did we do it ourselves? Hmm. Um, and I guess 
there were two reasons in my head. One of those was that I like to have full control. Mm -hmm. So the issue with WordPress is you become very vulnerable to uh, website attacks, oh, all this much, kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, but also there's a lot of very minor looking but customization built in. So, for example, if you are, when we add number seven, this is podcast number seven, when we add that to the website, obviously we want that to automatically update the RSS feed, which mm -hmm. you can do. But also there's a template for us to add in this podcast. So yep. we type in the title, um, the location of the MP3 file that we've created, yep. whether it's on SoundCloud or not, and if so, the SoundCloud link. So mm. rather than having to build this up manually, there's a nice sort of designed, well, I say nice, not necessarily aesthetically nice, yeah. but an easy-to-use template to allow us to update it very quickly. Definitely. And my feeling is I, I didn't see you developing it or... or you know, count how many hours you work, but I, I from, 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 from looking at it from the outside, I'd be surprised if you could have set up a WordPress site in as quickly as you did Spring Boot. I mean, it probably took a bit longer, but not an order of magnitude. Uh, somebody who knows WordPress inside out, I'm sure, yeah. could have done it. I mean, uh, And you'd end up with a WordPress site, you know. Exactly, it's... exactly. I mean, uh, but the other thing, of course, is it allows us then to build and build on it in the way that we know and understand. So yeah. one of the things that I am working on at the moment is implementing the search feature, mm -hmm. using Hibernate Search to... Um, because we've got an awful lot of text on that site, particularly the transcripts yes. for every podcast, and that's obviously going to grow. So so having a working and usable search facility mm -hmm. is obviously important. Uh, so I'm currently researching that, but actually that will also make a good second Oh, it video will. And, and actually uh, Hibernate Search was one of the topics in the draft outline for our Hibernate course four years ago now. And it was the one topic that fell off. Right. It didn't, you know, due to the schedule. And I was, you know, no one screamed for it, but it is an absolutely lovely, it's not really a plug-in, but... It is a lovely implementation, and uh, it'll make a great video. Yes, so I think the, you, you know, get that, up and running in an hour. It's not difficult, but that's it. So, so you know, and I've done the basics. I've got it working. What I'm now doing, and I didn't know Hibernate Search, so yeah. I, I've got a, an instance of it working locally, and I'm now just plugging through to work through. Well, what else do we need to Fabulous. know to make it? production standard and then again that can be part of that github repository that's so fabulous it might be and so this is a, a good working example of how before spring boot came along uh, if you'd have said let's build all things java using spring we, we would just know it's too it is going to take you too long there'll be all this xml and you've got to you know it would it would have so spring in those days was only useful on big enterprise projects now spring boot it's almost as quick as doing WordPress and yet can still do those big enterprise projects. Spring Boot is amazing. Do you know, it's interesting that I was actually sat there at one point thinking back to the days when we used to create websites with Grails. And oh, yeah. the one thing that I missed, and it may be you can do this in Spring Boot, but I haven't found it, is the ability to scaffold pages. So the website has... The pages that, the, that everyone who looks at the website can see, but there's some admin pages yeah. that are allowing us really just to do crud stuff on domain classes, yeah. and that was a little bit tedious, but that was the only yeah. frustrating part of the process. I always found the scaffolding with Grails to be a... You know, yeah, you get up and running with it quickly, but it comes and bites you later. You end up spending more time than you would have done maintaining those scaffolded pages yes. and... Uh, 
ne never, never a fan of that. No. But, uh, anyway, so that's what's happening. But we we promised that this would be a design pattern special this week. Indeed. So it's going to be all things design patterns, and the reason is we are getting asked by a lot of people, and it was coincidentally we had one just just before recording this podcast saying please do a course on design patterns and we never have done so we'll talk well I think we'll talk about the reasons why we haven't attempted design patterns so far but I'd like to ask first of all why do you think we're getting lots of requests for design patterns it's an interesting question that isn't it and I, I wonder whether uh, traditionally our core customer base, I think, has been independent consultants. So it's these people who are doing jobs that last six months to a year, possibly mm -hmm. working either by themselves or in very small teams. And over time, I think that's changed, and more and more of our customers are employees working in larger teams. Yeah. And if you also, because more, more companies are adopting agile methodologies, they're creating teams that they want to work more in a structured way, mm -hmm. they need that shared vocabulary that, I guess, design patterns give. So mm -hmm. I, that's the only thing that's in my head is the obvious yeah. answer is... And I promised I wouldn't throw you any curveballs. <laughs> you gave me a very dirty look when I asked you that question. But I was genuinely interested. To, so that's interesting. And I think, yeah, that, that's, that, that's a large part of it. I was going to be a bit more direct and say, I think, you know, obviously, a lot of our customers are going for job interviews. Um, looking for better jobs and all the rest of it and unfortunately we have this plague in our industry which is the whiteboard interview utterly ridiculous probably the worst way of assessing somebody's ability uh, so a lot of our customers are facing the situation where they've got they're being interviewed by some manager know-all who will say all right then show me the observer pattern here's a whiteboard pen sketch it up on that board now which is just they're hideous. I mean, I've been working with these patterns for 15 years, and, and I, I don't think I could cold off the top of my head draw. Could probably do observer, but certainly some of them, even the ones we use regularly, I would struggle to regurgitate in exactly the form that it yes. is in the Gang of Four book. And so, you know, I feel for people in that situation, but I'm not entirely sure we can help. I don't think we can help with that, but I guess if we can give people the confidence that they understand the observed pattern, they understand when it's useful, how to implement it, um, or and or where it, it... A good example of the existing core Java libraries that is using that pattern, for example, yes. um, that, to me, means that you can talk authoritatively about it. Mm. So even if you can't draw mm. it, you can say... You know, if you've got the, I want to say, oh, I'm not sure if I can say that word. If you've got the guts to be able to do it, you can sit there in an interview. <laughs> and uh, We're in charge of this podcast. Uh, yes. I don't think they do iTunes. Uh, ah, they may censor for well, explicit language. We have to say whether or not our, uh, one of the fields on the thing is to say whether or not it's explicit. So maybe we should edit that. You meant tennis balls. I know. did, indeed. If you, have the, if you have the guts to be able to sit there in an interview and say, well, I'm not going to draw it, but I'm going to tell you when you'd use it and why okay. I'd explain it, I think, you know, yeah, you'd, you'd convince that. the uh, yeah. person. We, we can't. We can't uh, mitigate for bad interviewers asking stupid questions, can no. we? But we can do our best to 
to make patterns approachable and friendly. So, I mean, that gets me into, um, we can't on, a po on the podcast, at least till we do videos, we can't go into deep technical detail on the patterns. We're not aiming to teach any of the listeners of the podcast how the patterns work, but we can hand wave about them and talk about. Yes. Well, we can talk about things on this hour, like uh, what are our favorite patterns? And <laughs> what are our least favorite patterns and that kind of thing. But I suppose we ought to go back to the beginning and talk about where, where, where do patterns come from? What are they? What's the definition of a pattern? I'm in charge of that one, am I? Uh, so it's, I've got right in front of me the uh, classic, it is considered a classic work, this, and it's affectionately referred to as the Gang of Four book. So if, if, in, if in that interview you say, well, according to Gang of Four, then everybody knows what you're talking about. That's, that's common parlance. Uh, so, just because it was written by four people. So, who, who are the kind of four? So, we've got Eric Gammer, Richard Helm, Ralph Johnson, and John, I can never pronounce John Vlasides' name. Uh, he sadly passed away a couple of years, four or five years ago. Um, I think Eric, Eric Gammer was the lead author of this, and the book actually was his PhD thesis, which oh, right. he turned into a book. Um, and, and the other three were kind of helpers. And uh, the forward is by the great Grady Booch, one of my favourites. Uh, um, Who's Grady Booch? He was the, um, he, um, he had a design methodology called Booch, which was famous for having fluffy clouds. Uh, he used a fluffy cloud for a class. Um, okay. So it'll be forever known for the fluffy clouds. I, I will go and Google that afterwards and everybody else do the same. <laughs> and he was, he was one of the, the, the three people who were employed by Rational at the time to unify their ideas. And out of that came the unified modelling language. So of course, yes. he was you know, renowned as being one of the founders of that. Great software engineer, though. But I'm, I'm going off the point. He, I mean, he, he didn't do anything for this book. Eric Gamma is uh, i'm not sure how i think he is the lead developer of eclipse now so has okay. since gone on to be now this book is published 1995 but was written in circa 91 92 ish something like that and that's relevant because at the time uh, the, I'm, I'm not sure what the motivations were but Object orientation was starting to push out into the mainstream. I mean, it'd been around for decades before then, but suddenly people were, were starting to use object orientation in real projects. I think it was the inheritance stuff. People just latched onto this idea that we're going to have reuse, the holy grail of software engineering. And so there was a people didn't know how to design object-oriented systems. People were, were launching into inheritance diagrams and, and coming up with great trees of inheritance and not finding any benefits or anything like that. So I'm going on about that because it, it helps to explain where this book came from. It, it came from an aching desire of people to come on, tell us what structures should we use in object orientation and how should we lay out our code and how do you do good classes and all that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and and it, it is if you look at the book now, it all feels very odd because there's a lot of obvious stuff in here. There's a lot of, there are 23 so-called patterns in here and, and actually if you look at some of them, they're, they're just so trivial, they're, they're not obvious, it's what you would do anyway. But it needed to be 
Are they true and obvious, though? Because as Java programmers, that's what we do by default. Because this book wasn't written for Java, was it? It was... Ah, well, that's, that is an interesting... Yeah, uh, Java hadn't been invented at the time. Uh, it's supposed to be language independent, but it is riddled with C++, which was emerging at the time. It had a very short period of being the, you know, the, the, the in-language. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a bit of small talk in there as well, which would have been the... Um, have been, you know, the, the best object-oriented language at the time. So it's supposed to be language independent. Now, I would say the, the patterns like facade and adapter probably would be obvious to any anybody who's written any amount of software. Okay. So I would have said if you if you'd have shown me those two patterns when I when I was twelve working on the ZX Spectrum, I'd probably have gone, oh yeah, okay, I get get that. They're not, you know, they're not that hard, but they needed to be written down and it needed to be formalised in a way because it was all, it was a bit like the Wild West, you know, it was all, it was all up for grabs back then. Right. Okay. And because they sort, they sort of invented patterns, they, they, it was one of these community things, it's all community these days, yeah. isn't it? But uh, it was all, uh, discussions on Usenet news groups at the time, people started coming up with ideas for what would be good patterns. And I think Eric Gamma says that half of the patterns in the book he'd written and, and, and the others he'd gathered from other sources and so on. So, so that's just to put into the context of the time. Um, I don't understand this book. It became an absolute classic, uh, a total smash hit. And every developer had to have one. So this is one of the first books I bought when I started really trying to improve my career. I'd been a hack developer until um, I dashed out and got this book to try to impress my mentor at the time. <laughs> um, lovely guy called Kenny, who I think you met once many years ago. If Kenny is listening, I won't say a second name just in case it offends <laughs> If Kenny's listening, hello Kenny, good on you, fantastic. And, and if you are listening, just write in and tell us whether you were impressed by Richard at that point. Yeah, well I know, I know the answer to that. <laughs> oh, he absolutely okay. wasn't. He, uh, I said, Kenny, Kenny, look, I've got design patterns. And he, and he looked a bit disgusted at me and said, oh, this is no good, it's pristine. If you want to look like a like a good, it's got to be beat up. So I immediately went home and started bending. I'm doing this right in front of the microphone now. I started bending the back of the. You're looking horrified. <laughs> Give it a good bashing. And I made a special point from then on of, um, I don't know if it'll fall open at an example, but loads of scribbles all over the book. You've got to show that you've really worked on this. No, I, it's the coffee stains on the yeah. edge that really impressed me, Richard. The coffee stains, the tears of joy throughout the book. Um, so yeah, I dashed out and got it. Didn't understand a word of it, frankly. I think this is a terrible book. That is the that is the <laughs> bombshell that I'm dropping in this, and that is almost heresy. Okay, so so I'll confess, I came to that book quite late. I first started on design patterns from a much more accessible book, which we might mention in a minute. But m my sense of it is, if you already knew it, mm -hmm. it's not that bad a read, but it, it wow. assumes you have that level of knowledge of their vocabulary, yeah. which is, to me, what the, the vocabulary I associate with the academic computer scientist, yeah. rather than today's modern programmer. And it was a PhD thesis, so it absolutely was an academic book. But I think it falls into the trap of, you know, it makes the simple things really complicated, <laughs> it makes the complicated things totally inaccessible. 
Um, and I know I'm, I'm going to be derided for this because to say that you don't like this book is tantamount to saying, hey, I'm really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get software. Um, so um, this is probably the end of my career now. That was it. It's great knowing you all. Um, I just, I must admit, I've read it on the train. This it's a while since I've picked it up, and I did read it on the train this morning just to refresh. And it was better than I remembered, I must say. But what I'm what I'm rambling about is, I wouldn't recommend that anybody wanting to get a good start in in software and design patterns, and you know, a, 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 any of our customers really, I wouldn't recommend you dash out and buy this book because it's 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 not. It's not that great. It never had a second edition. I'll never understand why. It must have sold millions. Yes. Idiots like me dash out and buy it <laughs> without even thinking about it. Um, yeah, look at the reviews on Amazon and, and you'll find a few one-star reviews saying overcomplicated, but most of the reviews are, what well, a classic work. It's timeless. It will never be beaten. It, oh. It's one of those things that you don't want to admit that you don't understand, exactly. isn't it? It's just exactly. Like, I what the name of the guys who wrote the, uh, the documentation about rest, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a very readable. Roy Fielding, yeah. It's, <laughs> Roy Fielding's thesis is very readable for a PhD thesis. I thoroughly recommend you read it. It's, <laughs> and as long as you say that confidently, no one will dare challenge you that, yeah. oh, I've never read it. Anyway, um, so the, the the inspiration for patterns was um, they talk a little bit about it in the book was they were inspired by an arch you know a building architect uh, called Christopher Alexander I think who'd written a book on architecture back in the nineteen seventies I think okay. and he coined this term patterns and he, he his his idea was that in building architecture we, we constantly come up with the same solutions time and time and time and time again. And so there must be a way of kind of categorizing those things that we do in building. And then we can just repeat it and rather than like learning everything from scratch every time. So he had this idea of writing a book which contained a series of, of what he termed patterns which I hope I'm getting this right. It's something along the lines of given this particular set of uh, problems in the real world. Here's a common set of solutions that the building architects have reinvented time after time after time. Okay. So bay window, for example. The, the bay windows are they universal and across the world? Maybe not. Possibly not, but it's very common in the 30s in Britain. You have yes, bay windows. I have don't bay you? windows. So, but a semicircular uh, hmm. sort of front of your house normally. Um, so rather than having a flat window, you have. Uh, it's not such a curved window, is it? It's a it's a set of windows that form a curve when put together. I yeah, a... and I think the I'm, I'm, I really should have probably read Christopher Alexander's book or flicked through it to revise for this podcast. I'm not sure if bay window. I don't think it is actually in the book, but <laughs> the, the the reason that's a common pattern, certainly in the UK, is that it gives it gives a wide surface area of light, so it makes your living room very light, but it also creates. A kind of place where you can sit and gather so there's always a wide ledge on a bay window or there should yes. be and you're supposed to sit there and read books and things and with with natural daylight so that's might sound like it's off the point but the people Eric Gammerin and Gang of Four thought we must be able to do that and we must have the same thing in software surely we keep reinventing the same things we've got the same structures we have certain forces in a problem that results in common solutions 
and that's what they thought they would do and that's where these 23 came from. I would argue now, and th this makes me sound very arrogant, this was brilliant what they did at the time, but we've got 20 years now of industry knowledge mm. that has gone after it. And the point I'm making is that I think a lot of this is now kind of dated in a way. And a lot of it has passed into common terminology anyway. At least one of these patterns in the book is a definite anti-pattern and should never be used. Right. So we'll be doing, we definitely be doing, that. we exactly. certainly will, okay. we'll be doing a course on that, absolutely. Um, and I would argue actually that if, if they really were inspired by Alexander, these aren't patterns at all. What they're describing are just really fixes for in a, an, ida, an inadequate language. The proof of that is if you move away from C++ or Java and you move to even something like Groovy, which is not a million miles away from uh, Java, is it? Yeah. But certainly if you move to Clojure or any other language really, you'll find a lot of these patterns are invalidated. They have no validity in those languages. So that proves that these patterns don't transcend languages. They, these are fixes for inadequacies of your language frankly. Okay, that's interesting. So let's, so, I'm just cutting my head, let's take the observer pattern purely because we mm -hmm. talked about it a bit on the last podcast. Mm -hmm. So for those who are not clear, we have talked a bit about that pattern. Um, and we talked a bit about how that's implemented in Java, mm -hmm. right? So, but the idea of having the ability for uh, two or more objects to communicate effectively, mm -hmm. which is one of the things the, the observer pattern allows you to do, mm -hmm. um, is there a language out there that, that, you know, that means you would never need that pattern to be able to do that kind well, of the communication? Book, the book it? talks about, the book basically gives a specific implementation yes. of Observer, uh, which uses, they don't talk about interfaces in the book because it was C++ based, so they have abstract classes. That's one way of implementing what I would argue, well, it's just publish, subscribe. So we always, you know, before Java, we talk about, oh, we need a pub sub here. How you implement it is, there's a million ways of implementing yes. it. Who really cares how it's implemented? So one of the important things about the book is it did establish a common language, a common set of terms that we can use. So I now know okay. if you're talking about observer, I would tend to think you're talking about a specific implementation of pub sub, but it doesn't doesn't really matter. Right, okay. Um, so I know you're working on WebSockets at the minute, which we probably won't go into detail just yet because it's still percolating through, but that is effect, I would say, well, that's publish, subscribe. You have a, a server which has got some information it needs to broadcast to client web browsers. Yes. It's pushing that rather than the browsers polling it, Absolutely, which would be yes. potentially an anti-pattern. So it's published, subscribe. I've no idea how that's implemented. I'm looking forward to the course. Right. But it doesn't, I, I doubt it is, oh, you have an abstract class on the server, which it's not going to be that. No, you're right. Um, yeah, let's save that. That's okay. Uh, but I think, but I mean, what's interesting though for me in that, with the WebSocket example though, is you've got a client talking to the server. The server we're writing in Java, the client's in JavaScript. So you've got mm -hmm. two different languages communicating yeah. here. And it's the protocol that connects the two together, right? Yeah. So 
The client knows nothing about the server and its classes. All it knows is it's got, I suppose, the equivalent of an interface because it knows it must have the ability to receive and send a message yeah. using this common structure. Mm -hmm. But it, it's the it's not even a formal interface. That's that's yeah. the yeah the, the tricky bit in a way. But I guess in the background, it really is. It's mm -hmm. got to be. So yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think for me. I, I, I'm, being, I'm being pedantic here. I'm, 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 I'm criticising them for not upholding Christopher Alexander's original 1977 idea of what a pattern should be, which is ridiculous, really. But to me, a pattern would be something that transcends all languages and would you will still be using those patterns when you're in your 70s and everything's changed. They will survive lots of things. So a pattern would be... Sorry, you're going to ask a question. Well, I was just going to say, but will we still be talking about them as patterns, or will they just be, be second nature? This is just how we work. Well, yeah, and to me, a pattern would be uh, low coupling. That's a pattern that we all strive to do. I can't imagine any any development in software, barring some cataclysmic shift in thinking. Low coupling is always going to be something that, as engineers, we strive to do. Yes. I don't need a massive class diagram to show me low coupling. It's a, it's a, it's a concept. So high cohesion uh, program, things like that. But that's not really the point of this. I'm being, I'm being pedantic. Um, that's what patterns would have been. Yes. Um, these are so. That's my point. These are more like specific implementations of tricks and techniques you can do in strictly a class-based, uh, statically typed language. Okay. So n very few of these patterns will be, would be relevant to JavaScript. A lot of them are, are irrelevant in languages like Groovy and Scala. Yeah. So functional languages. Presumably functional. Yeah, yeah. Blows most of these out of the water. Okay. Which is, you know, who cares? It's great. It's still yes. good. It's still all good, valid stuff. And we we are our own programmers primarily, and there are plenty of them out there. And hopefully, they're not going away. We are full stack JVM <laughs> developers, which incorporates lots of functional and lots of, you know. But if I were interviewing a developer and they said I don't know any patterns, you know, then you'd be very, very suspicious. You know, they should be able to talk about about some of them. I wouldn't never expect them to sketch out exactly the classic gang of four structure as shown in the book. No. Which, you know, some some, some of these are horrible. But, it, but, but you'd expect them to be able to say, well, I sort of have a concept of what, say, the decorator pattern yeah. is, be able to try and describe it, and certainly at least know when you'd want to use it. Yeah. Um, and come up with an example. Yes. That kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, what would we do on a course then? So you're, I think your thinking is we'll have a series of short modules, maybe an hour video on this is this this is a problem that we have with a project. Here's a solution, and by the way, it happens to be called. So I don't. So I'm struggling, right? So I'm heavily influenced by the the book that I used as my introduction to design patterns was. Head First Design Patterns, hey. part of that Head First series, which is the opposite of The Gang of Four book, because it <laughs> is the most accessible. Um, <laughs> I confess I find it very frustrating, um, because for anyone who hasn't read one of the Head First books, and they are excellent, I'm not really not dissing the Head First 
series of books. They are written. Yeah, you are. <laughs> they're written in a way you know they're full of cartoons and anecdotes and silly phrases and pictures and it. If you want to just get to the point, if you've got an issue which says, say you're in a team meeting, and somebody says, right, we're gonna, you need to implement this, and you need to be using the decorator pattern. Mm-hmm. Come back and let's work on it tomorrow. You've got an overnight to read it. Now, okay, it'll take you twenty minutes to read that chapter, mm. but if you just want to get to the nub of it. That's a frustrating. Yeah, I can see that. If you were in, certainly, if you were on a, you're doing a, having a design meeting or something, and you've yes. got a whiteboard, and oh, I can't quite remember how decorator fits together. Yes. Then yeah, you'd go straight going to four book actually. But to me, I'm just wondering though whether you know we've got a tension here. I think in terms of how we teach you, which might be why we've sort of put off trying to cover design patterns, which is. Do we do it the way you've just described? Which certainly to me feels like a very comfortable way of doing it from our point of view. Mm where you build up to here's the design pattern which is also i think very much the head first approach you don't mm-hmm. find out the name of the design pattern until towards the end of the chapter mm-hmm. or do we say you know here's a here's a and I, i'm doing this up in my head it may not make much sense but do you know look here's the concept of what, what this design pattern is trying to do let's have a real example of when you might need it mm. and work through that way do, how do we start and there's a tension there as to do we try and get to the point quickly and then work through the example, or mm-hmm. do we start with the example and or do both? Meander around and get it's difficult, yeah, isn't it? Certainly yeah. do both. So this is this is certainly on our agenda, isn't it? To to come up with a, mm. a series covering the, the key design patterns. Yeah, it has been for a while, and it, yeah, it's for exactly that reason. And I I kind of sense that it, it's something that it's we're best when we can just get into an IDE and start coding. When you have to start explaining deep concepts and you've got pictures and animation and you need to make it visual, it's it's a very difficult and time consuming exercise that. And we yes. might it's some of them will certainly work with here's a really bad piece of code, a bad way of implementing yeah. thing, which is where you know you started not knowing about this. Yes. Uh, and some of them certainly will work as a way of improving that, mm. uh, we work with a we work with a guy who an excellent local developer. Um, I probably can't name him because I might drop him in it with his employers or something. I don't know, but um, he he was absolutely superb and, and he did a kind of a, a prototype of of uh, that's a bad word. That's one of the design patterns. So <laughs> he did a trial version of a, a video for us. Unfortunately, we didn't work with him in the end because, as is often the case, he's too busy earning Indeed, real money yes. out there in the industry <laughs> but he did a lovely job for us on showing us how we could do um builder the builder design pattern and he really made me it really opened my eyes to oh yeah right that's one of the uses of builder that i would never quite spotted okay. and, and actually, his was a different approach again because his was let's imagine we're on this project together we've been given this project let's go and say so his starting point was here's a complete piece of code and let's explore it and understand what it's doing Perfect, that's yeah. how he started which is um, as virtual pair programmers should be exactly our yes. Our style, really. But once you realise that it's it is a simple case, because build, the build can be quite complicated. Builders used all over the place, by the way. And once you learn builder, you get a very good understanding of why a lot of modern Java frameworks now are always you 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 you're calling a long chain of methods one after the other, all in a single line yes. to construct an object, and it, it's builder. Once you realise that, oh yeah, the alternative would have been they would have had to give you a great big list of arguments and a constructor. Yes. And because you 
well, until recently, you can have optional arguments in a constructor. You have to overload the constructor a hundred times to co cover every single combination of parameters that a client might want to yes. use. So, oh yeah, Builder, right, allows you to specify with one long line of code exactly what you're looking for. It was a beautiful way of doing it. It did a great job. Unfortunately, we, we you know, you never know it, just out you didn't go anywhere. Um, okay, but again, I, I guess it doesn't fit within our normal way of doing courses and our normal teaching style, yeah. which, is the, which is the problem for us, really, because it's just that slightly different way of working, mm. which is a challenge. So we're, we'll, we're certainly committing to do it. And we just think outside the box and do it yeah. in, a, in, a, in a different way to how we do it, maybe. And it might be on camera, whiteboard, that kind of thing, like, like we are now, yeah, yes. having a discussion. Well, we'll have a, We'll have a further think about that, but... Um... So, you can tell me what is your favourite design pattern and I'll tell you my least favourite. <laughs> How about that? Well, I, I'm going to just say Observer. I thought only, you would. <laughs> only because it, it's on my head at the moment. It's in my head right now because I'm working on, as we said, I'm working on how to teach WebSockets. And, you know, as we've just said, so WebSockets effectively is an implementation of the Observer design pattern. Mm -hmm. You've got an object on the server which is maintaining some form of state which various clients are going to connect to and it needs to be able to tell the clients something in that state has changed and and what it is that's changed right mm -hmm. that, that's really what's going on yep um and my challenge is do you teach that how do you teach that when you can't be sure that the person learning knows that design pattern so i don't mm. want to talk with that sort of language necessarily when it's not I mean, WebSockets goes a step further, right, because it's fully duplex. So yeah. if you only think about it in terms of the design pattern, actually you miss part of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the challenge for me. But I guess this, the, the, the ability to at least, it's much easier to explain in terms of design patterns. And I guess that's why mm -hmm. I'm, I would nominate that today as my favourite. It might not be mm -hmm. tomorrow. Right. <laughs> I could be asking, what's your second favourite design <laughs> Well, that, okay, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to answer that one, actually, because I like, I really do like Decorator. Fantastic, yeah, Decorator's great. I think it is really clever mm. when you understand it and then you understand, for example, we were talking before this uh, podcast about file handling in Java, and when you understand that this is why those classes work in the way they do, suddenly you get this, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Uh, and so the design pattern helps you understand the th it makes suddenly all this this complicated network of, of classes that you could be using mm -hmm. suddenly make sense. Yes, um, and unfortunately, uh, our bad. This it's it, it's bound to happen, I suppose. For some reason, f sort of general day-to-day -day file handling in Java is something that we've never covered on any course anywhere. So. You know, there's, I mean, there's some lovely stuff in there. The ability to take any arbitrary object and write it to a network socket or to a file is is really powerful. And we should have had it somewhere in a course, but it's um, always fallen down through the cracks. So that could be a suggestion. A one hour on Java file. I don't want to say streams now because that's an overloaded term, but Java Java basic file handling together with the decorator pattern because that's how it's all built up on that so yes. um i'm not sure so, it'll satisfy your 
Yeah, sorry. Can I think about it? I was going to say, so I'm going to put the challenge back on you. So what's your favourite design pattern? My favourite? <laughs> oh, Proxy, definitely. Uh, Proxy is used extensively through Spring Framework. Right. Uh, for example. Um, and so I would argue that we do have material on design patterns already. If you go through the Spring Fundamentals course, for example, you're going to get the Proxy pattern, which is used all over Spring, but specifically for aspect-oriented programming, issues by Spring Security, and, well, loads of other things. Um, there's also the template method, uh, one of the classic Gang of Four patterns. If you've used the JDBC template class, you are using a template design pattern. Okay. And I can't remember, actually, I think, certainly on the first edition of the course, when I was teaching JDBC template, I went, all, I went all the way back to template method pattern and showed them that, and then showed, I've got a feeling on second edition, I thought, no, I'm just showing off that I know design patterns, <laughs> and I took it out. But it's all in there. So, yeah, Proxy's my favourite pattern because, again, it's clever. It's clever, simple, and elegant. And I just love the idea that you have a client who thinks they're calling a particular well, they think they're calling a method on a particular object, and they're not. They're calling a standing object that's sitting between them and the real object. And this standing object, the proxy, is doing its work, its extra stuff. So Spring Security, for example, if you're securing a domain, we don't do that too often, actually, to be honest, but if you're securing a, a domain not a domain. If you're securing a service in Spring Security, yes. uh, so you're not using like servlet level security, you're actually securing the object. You think you're calling the object, actually you're calling the security proxy, which is going to say, are you logged in or not? Well, are you authenticated and are you authorised to call this method? If not, get lost, exception thrown. If you are, then it just passes the, the method invocation through to the target, and then returned. And you're none the wiser as a client. I just yes. love that idea that there's these mechanisms going on behind the scenes. Okay. Proxy's beautiful. Interesting. Okay. Absolutely beautiful. Least favourite. I want you to ask me my least favourite. Come on then, Richard. What's your least favourite? That's a leading question. <laughs> How did you know I wanted to know? Singleton is an anti-pattern. Is this the one you were referring to before? I believe so we've mentioned it, yeah. Yes, it's, uh, I said at least one. That is the obvious. Singleton is an anti-pattern, and I can't think of any any circumstance where it would be used or useful. So let's talk through. What's the singleton pattern? Sorry, what is the official definition of a single pattern, and why is it an anti-pattern? There is on the front... It's called the frontispiece, isn't it? The first, you're, you're, the, you're, the, um, <laughs> you're the expert on books. You're the... You, you love classic literature. The frontispiece, I think it's called. Um, the first two pages of the book on the on the hardcover gives a one-sentence definition of each of the patterns. So that's okay. quite useful to learn those if you go no further in the rest of the book. Uh, singleton is ensure a class has only one instance and provide a global point of access to it. So my, my, my first moan about that is what 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 are they saying here i have to ensure classes have only one instance and they kind of miss that what they're what they're saying there is if you want to ensure a class has only one instance yes. and you want to provide a global point of access to it then this is how you should implement that requirement 
Okay, and that is a requirement that we sometimes have, right? Absolutely, so of course, you know, in systems you have... So you, you never want to create what we would call a singleton, right? You're not saying that. Yeah, right? yeah. the term is, the term's okay. It's the implementation that's the anti-pattern. Right. Um, so the, the, so we'll, we'll, do a, we'll do a Mickey Mouse example just, okay. just to give us a motivation through this. But there are better examples, but we've got a system with customer orders, and we want to have a class that manages those orders. Okay. So that's a class that's going to allow us to raise, a per raise an order, cancel an order, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, we only want one instance of the order manager. It's, you know, it's, or you could call it the order book. Okay. For, the, yes. for, the, for a company. There's only one order book in a company. You know, millions of orders, one order book. So there's our requirement. We only want one instance of it. So singleton, and the reason that I, I really want to get quite passionate about how bad this pattern is, is that for some reason this seems to be pattern number one for most people, and it was for me. Right. It's the first one you go to, and I'll confess, when I learned this, I was so pleased with myself, first of all, for learning a pattern. I went and used it everywhere, of course. And uh, I loved it. I was a, 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 um, a, an evangelist for singletons. Okay. And I think it's, it's a beguiling pattern because it's, it's the most code-like. It's the one in the book that doesn't have a big complex class diagram with loads of abstract classes. It's basically pseudocode. It's a block of code. I'm a right. coder. I can understand that. So uh, you're flicking through the friendly head-first book. Yeah, I was there. just saying what they're going to say. Well, I was trying to get my head around it. I can't remember what, at all what they say about it. So I was trying to get my head around it before you... I have a horrible so feeling they cover it just as, oh, this is great, isn't it? Which would be my one criticism of that. But well, I think I was that's trying a great to remember book. to see where they get to. But I don't know if I'll read it in time while you're... Uh... Um, so shall I waffle on about how it's implemented yes, for the, if, if you're new says. to this? So, yeah. so it, th this is a way of implementing that we only ever want one instance of, of, an, of an object. So the first thing you do is you take the constructor of that class and you make it private. Yes. So if you've got a private constructor, you can't ever call new. Yes. So that's, that's kind of getting you the first part of the requirement. We're never, well, actually, so far, we're never going to be able to create any instances of this class. But what we can do is put a static method in the class. Um, I'm okay to, I can assume we know about static methods. So that's a we, method you can, so it's a method you can yes. call without having to create instances of the class first. Yes. It's more like a regular function. Uh, but we'll make that public. And in the book, they call it, well, they could just call the method instance, actually. Um, we, we could call the method get access to order book, for example. That's a static method. And the implementation of that would just be if this is the first time I've been called, create a new instance of order book. Now, that's okay. We can do that because yes. although it's private, we're in this, this static method is in the same class. So that's legal. Yes. Create a new instance of the object. Store a reference to that object for future use and return that back to the caller. Yes. If this is not the first time we've been called, then it's even easier. We just return that first object that we created before. I hope that's come across okay-ish on the podcast. I'm waving my hands around and but it's as straightforward as that. Yes. That's the pattern. That's so, the pattern. and by the way, um, 
I'm sorry if that's not come across brilliantly on the on the podcast. If any listeners are confused, but at least I, you know, I covered it in what three, four sentences. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages of this book. Yes. Going through that, it's just ridiculous. Anyway. So, so, so the, I'm going to ask you why. Let me ask you why you think it's an anti-pattern, and then I'll mention the issues that they talk about in the. Uh, so they had first book, now I've refreshed my... Well, I don't think it's an anti-pattern, it is an anti-pattern. Okay, so why is this an anti-pattern, Richard? And this is, probably gives me a chance to criticise the Gang of Four book, <laughs> which, which again, it's not a criticism on the authors, they were inventing something new, and, and the friendly head first book came along ten years after that, so, yes. you know, they're building on... They had a chance to think things through. But the reason the head first book, okay, yeah, it is cartoony, and that doesn't appeal to everybody, but what they get absolutely right in this book is they don't start just in plucking patterns out of thin air. Oh, here's a pattern, here's another one, here's another one, they're good, aren't they? They start from the principles of software engineering. Well, the principles of object orientation, I should say, but most yes. of them are principles of engineering generally. They start from the principles and then derive the patterns from the principles. Yes. Whereas here, yet yeah, some principles are mentioned, but not in any kind of coherent fashion. And manifestly, the singleton pattern violates, well, at least one of the principles, uh, one of the principles, single responsibility principle is a class should be responsible for, we have to be vague here, one thing, I'm doing the quote marks with my hands there, Yes. should be responsible for one thing only. What does one thing mean? I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to say a thing, but as an engineer, you've got to, you've got to have an intuition on what thing means. Yes. So the example we gave of an order book for a company well, that's one thing, isn't it? Well, it might not be if the if orders are very complex in this company, and yes. you know, creating an order is a complex process of credit control. Then, oh, that's one thing, and that would need its own class. Yes. But let's keep things simple and say now, ordering's simple. It's create, read, update, delete yeah. kind of process. That's one thing. So a class should be responsible for one thing only. So we we've modelled that as a class. Now, by the way, that transcends object orientation, a class, module, function, who cares? Whatever yes. the module in your language of choice is, a module should do one thing only. Yes. Now, what we've done with Singleton is we've now said, ah, 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 ah. What we're also going to model in this class, and we're going to hard code it in, is we're going to model at runtime how many of these are is there going to exist in any given context or circumstance. So by hard coding into your order management class, you're saying in all circumstances ever, however this system is run, there will always be only one instance of this class. That's the law. Yeah. And that is a, that's, a, that's a requirement that is totally separate, orthogonal, yes. unrelated to the management of orders. Yes. And the thing that so what? I mean, I'm being, I sound like, I sound like an academic now where you've violated one of my very important principles. But the reason this became important was not long after this book, there was the next wave of unit testing. Automated unit testing suddenly became important. And that's what really exposed Singleton as a massive anti-pattern was 
and unit testing. So yeah, I agree. Uh, in real production runs of this system, we want one and only one of that order book. But when we're testing that system, yes. we want as many as we need to do tests. To do tests yes. If you can only have one, then I'm sure many of you will have been bit by this. If you can only have one instance, and you do something with that order book, you put some data in or you do whatever you're doing, then that test's finished and you want to move on to the next test, you've got all of the debris from your previous test still stuck in that object. So what you need to do is somehow destroy that. And you yes. can't destroy objects in Java. You can't destroy them. You can't destroy an object in Java. If any confusion on that, go to our advanced Java course, look at memory management and all that. Yes. You can make an object eligible for garbage collection, but when you've made a singleton object, you've got a static reference to it, which is held in the static yes. reference pool. So yeah. it can never be destroyed. So you end up, and, I, and this is a proper war story, I'm not making it up. I had been a zealous advocate of singletons. I was working as a trainer at the time and a consultant's project, telling them, put singletons here, there and everywhere. And then they get me into, show us how to do unit tests. And then all of a sudden it was, oh no, well, now you've got to now put in destroy methods everywhere yes. to undo all of the work. Total mess. Total mess. There's only one example of why Singleton hurts and is painful, but it's the, the, best, the best example we've ever had. So Singleton leads you into that disaster because they've violated single responsibility. Well, you, you've convinced me we should be doing a course on this because certainly the head first book doesn't mention that either. Interesting. So, and actually all it talks about is the issues around Threading. singleton oh, multi-threaded Boring, boring. So they go, <laughs> they'll go on about the double check locking pattern, which, Absolutely. you know, it, so yes, singletons are not thread safe in the implementation they give in the book. Yes. You've got to work hard to make it thread safe. Boring, boring, but I mean, that is important. It is important. If you're going to use it. And it, it, and it, the lesson is you shouldn't be using it. Yeah, and it, so, but it's another example of, 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 of why, because you've mixed that requirement in with your business requirements, it then gets really complicated when, oh no, at runtime we've got threading issues. So, so this, this, actual, this is the value we can add then, is it's not just about, here's the design pattern, here's the use case, it's actually, here's when you shouldn't use it, and it's the, the pitfalls with it. Yeah. That, I don't think any of the books are probably going to cover but that. But you I'm should never use it because there's no there's no requirement. Well, they're not they're not giving you a pattern there. They're giving you an implement a, a code implementation. Yes. Which you would. What do you do if you've got a class that's incohesive? You split into two. Easy as that. But are there any classes within the Java libraries yeah. that are singletons that you'd say, well, that is a sensible choice? No, it can never be a sensible choice because if you split the requirement, use your engineering principles, split the requirements up, you would have one class that is your order book. Yes. And you would have another class, which is the, this class defines how many instances of order book there should be, depending on context. So actually, I've been sat here while you've been talking, thinking about, well, how would you implement this in reality then? So you're thinking something like a factory. So you can It's a say, factory. Right. Exactly. So you, you've just derived from first principles the requirement for a class that says, mm, how many objects am I allowed to give of this? So you would code that factory as if we are at production runtime, then make sure there's only one instance of yes. order book. If we are in testing, then well, dole out order books like there's no tomorrow. 
simple, nice simple implementation. And now my final rant, I promise. I mean, we are coming up to time, aren't we? My final rant on this book, this Gang of Four book. <laughs> we can edit that out, that's fine. The compressor will get rid of that. Is that, I mean, factory is so important, so fundamental. And again, spring framework courses, spring framework at its core is a factory. Right. Um, in this book, Oh, there's factories. Oh, there's factories. There's two separate methods covering factories. We've got factory method and we've got abstract factory, okay. both of which are really complicated. <laughs> now, look, people are going to laugh at me. It's not that complicated. They're not that complicated, but they're massively over-engineered for what, you, what we've just described. What we've just described, you can implement using a single class, call it order book factory, static method in there with a little bit of logic in it'll do the job yes you've not violated any principles of software engineering it might not look glamorous but it does the job nowhere in this book is that kind of thing mentioned the friendly head first book does do that and they call it a simple factory yes um and now the patterns in here are going much further than that and addressing other requirements. So Spring Framework, for, for instance, is an implementation of factory method. Abstract factory is really complicated and for when you're dealing with huge families of objects in, in, in trees. And they miss, so in here there's the kind of, they have, they've put the simple factory and embedded it, hard-coded it into Singleton and they've not noticed that they've missed a really fundamental what should have been a pattern, fact, just call it factory. Right. With no fancy stuff on top. I've finished ranting now, that's okay. quite. Um, I'm exhausted through ranting now. But, so that's why I'm saying, no, there is no, you, you know, we, we often, so we're, prag, we're pragmatic programmers to still, you know, the, yes. um, in, in both senses. Um, by the way, I would strongly recommend the Pragmatic Programmer book over the Gang of Four book anytime. Right. Um, but, you know, we're pragmatic with it and we'll often say, you know, do, do keep it simple, do what works, do the most basic thing that works. But in the case of Singleton, that's not, why would I do that? Which is actually, you know, it's a nasty bit of static method complexity. When I could just put that in a put that logic in a separate class. Yes. You do that. That's the simplest thing that will possibly work. It's no more complicated than singleton right. pattern. So. Okay. I would never use it. So, let's take that away in a positive point. Is that actually there, there should be a singleton uh, design pattern, but it's implemented. That it's the implementation. The concept of saying. You know, you should consider, do you only ever want to have in production one instance of this class? Mm -hmm. but the design pattern should, should be, don't make it so that you can't ever have more than mm. one should you need it, yeah. and implement it using the factory pattern, is, is really yeah. the, or, you know, there might yeah. be other ways, but yeah, yeah. okay. And then you might, you might progress that into the classic Gang of Four factory method pattern, but yes. you, know, you, you ain't going to need it probably, so. Good, okay. Well. Uh, so we've got, it's going to be, this is going to be a difficult challenge, I think. Yes. Uh, especially if, you know, I mean, that rant on Singleton, if you're in an interview and somebody's asked you to show them the Singleton, but they don't want to hear any of that. They just want to see the Singleton sketched up. So I don't know. I well, don't if know. you want to get the job, hopefully you'll, you'll yeah, be able just, to say, well, 
there's issues of this with the course of this and if they don't want to listen maybe you don't want that yeah job, well so. well you sound them out don't you and and if they're if they're clearly passionate advocates for singleton you go, oh yeah singleton's i mean if you're desperate for the job you know just <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know. we'll do we will do something on it but I, I would repeat that we've got lots of pattern material just buried through our courses already. Yes. Uh, I mean, another way we can handle it is there's patterns all over the standard Java library. And usually, I can't think of any, any counter, there, no, there might be a few, but usually they're good implementations of the patterns and they're in the, you know, done in the right way and done in the right place. So. I think that's definitely worth referencing back as part of what we do, because as yeah. I said, if that then helps you understand how those classes are meant to be used and why they are like they are. It gives you a better, uh, you know, at least when you then come and see the next implementation, you, you've got a prior knowledge yes. of what's going on there. Yeah. Um, I also think it could be helpful for things like when we're talking about the changes that are coming in with Java 9 and modules and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff, being able to think of that, if you've got that design, design pattern background, being able to think of that, so particularly mm -hmm. the stuff around... Um, and I, I won't get the terminology right here, but the fact they're doing these modules where you can consume and like services and this kind of thing. Now mm -hmm. they, they're talking about effectively an interface and, an, and a factory that generates an implementation of the interface. Yes. You just never see the implementation. But yes. because they're calling it consuming services, it gets a bit confusing. So yeah. again, I think that's another, maybe if we're gonna be doing stuff on Java 9, there'll be stuff that comes in as part of that as well, potentially. Yeah, hopefully. So I personally wouldn't recommend that anybody, you know, if, you, if you're on a limited budget and, you, and you're going for these interviews, I wouldn't recommend the Gang of Four pattern. It looks good on your desk. Uh, buy it second hand, so it's already battered. You can have yeah. it on your arm. That, that's the yeah. answer. <laughs> now, I personally love the Head First book, although I confess I read it when it first came out 10 years ago and I've not revisited it. Now, I would argue, so Cathy Sierra, it wasn't Cathy Sierra who wrote the book, but she invented, with Bert Bates, invented this system of learning, which they call the Brain Friendly Guide. And their reasoning is all this silliness and all this nonsense is to trick your brain into absorbing the material far quicker than it would do if you were doing it like the way we teach and I'm going to argue they must have got it right because I read that book 10 years ago I've never felt the need to go back to it because it just went in and there were a lot of um, my colleague at the time as well said oh Rich I, re I really need to go back to my old code and start reworking it because I've got so much out of this book yes. so it's now 10 years old and they've produced a second edition for the, the 10th anniversary I think I would recommend it I think you, you, you get no, irritated with I, cutesy things look, it, it is a great way to learn about it if you don't already know it I think if you already mm -hmm. have a sense of it or you already know it it, there's a frustration element comes in. Well, I had already, I'd already done, I studied this, <laughs> so I, you know, I'd gone through the pain of doing design patterns and felt I understood most of the patterns and then went through this and realised there were gaps in what classic Gang of Four had mm. got. I think they, it doesn't look like it, but one of the reviews I saw on Amazon said, start with head first. Get the, do the cutesy Mickey Mouse Hello yes. World stuff in there and then do Gang of Four. And I disagree. It seems to me to be the other way around. The Gang of Four gets lost and bogged down in, in nonsensical detail in some, in some places. 
Whereas Head First has an amazing amount of stuff that is missed from the original It's book. funny, because I would have gone with the cutesy, start with Head First, but then stop at that point. I wouldn't bother with the grand well, before. But, but actually, yeah. hopefully in a few months, we'll be saying, start with virtual pair programmers. Mm. That's the place to start. But we're not there yet. Maybe, so. maybe. <laughs> but as I, as I said earlier, the Head First book starts with principles, six or seven principles of object orientation and then yes. work forward from that. So yes. much more intelligent way of doing it, I think. And, and that certainly is absolutely worth going through. That bit wasn't frustrating and mm. possibly because I agree, you know, I agree with it because it's the way I was taught, but, mm. you know, all that stuff around coupling, around inheritance, composition, absolutely, it's mm. well, that's a world worth reading. Yeah, uh, we'll put links to both books in the show notes. Yes, and probably, and as you mentioned, the Pragpod book as well. If you think that's a good one, let's link. To yeah, Primatic, which is more code-like and you know yeah. doesn't cover this sort of thing. But uh, yeah, definitely. Do well. So yeah. we don't have a planned subject for the next podcast, which will be in two weeks' time. With no, it won't. You're you're on holiday, I think. I am going on holiday. Yes, I'm so not doing a solo podcast. That would so, be uh, hellish and cruel well, look, torture for our customers. I so. happen to know that you enjoy when I go on holiday because you. <laughs> You yeah. uh, get a nice week of peace and quiet. I shall take, do no work that week I either. I shall so. relax, <laughs> yes. Now, well, I'm learning the... So I've finished Docker to Module 2. It's not released as we're talking. It's going to be released on Thursday, the 31st of August. Fantastic. Um, it'll be quite early in the morning, lunchtime-ish in UK time when it's released. Had a great time with that. Um, and then I'm Can moving you give us on to potted highlights. What does it cover, Doctor Two? Uh, so that's moving into multiple containers. So it's more realistic deployments. Okay. Um, you can do almost all of the course, regardless of whether you're into microservices or anything like that. Keep it nice and simple. We've got two simple containers until the last two chapters, when we take the microservice deployment that we did on the microservice deployment course. <laughs> uh, so complicated to do that. I was trying to keep things simple on that course, but yeah, just juggling these EC2 instances. You come to Docker, you slam it all into containers and a few commands, bang, it's running, it's beautiful. It's, and there is lots of WebSocket goodness in there as well. I'm very pleased with the, good. With the practical. So yeah, I think it's a genuinely good course. Only problem with it, I didn't have time to cover Amazon's ECS service i'm not that keen on ecs i'm i'm not happy about having to cover it i'll do a follow-on tiny module one hour okay at some point in the next few months i know there were a couple of people asking us for that so i might, might get into trouble for that um and um i've forgotten the other thing i was going to say oh yeah i'm just slightly worried it'll go out of date docker's moving so fast they're adding new stuff all the time right people will be asking us next for when are you going to do a course on kubernetes which is sort of a orchestration management system on top of Docker. And Docker just seems to absorb a lot of the things you can do in Kubernetes. So it might be it's okay. a moving well, target. Well done for getting that one finished. And you've got Java Web Development second edition. So, so second edition of Java Web Development. Last week, last two weeks ago rather, we spoke about whether we should be splitting it to modules. So we have done. So module one is complete. And I say it's complete, it's recorded. Needs editing, post-production, all that kind of stuff. So hopefully middle of September that one will be released. Around about three weeks maybe from now. Good. Um, that covers pretty much what I would describe as being the bare bones basics of how web development works in Java before you add a framework mm -hmm. on. Um, 
there the perhaps one topic which isn't in module one is in module two is java server pages okay um, so module two covers uh, which is what i'm working on at the moment covers uh so java server pages uh mvc and ajax web sockets and uh asynchronous Mm-hmm. Uh, servlets. Okay. Uh, so again, it's all still Java without frameworks. And actually, by the end of module two, that will be that that course complete in terms of Java pre frameworks. Mm-hmm. So the core underlying how all of that works. Um, we will be debating whether or not there is a module on frameworks or not. Um, and actually, it would quite help me, anyone listening to this, it, let us know whether you need us to cover framework, any particular frameworks or not, because. My sense of it is, obviously, we do a lot on Spring. We've got Java E. Um, we could pick one like Play and do a quick start on Play. We could pick, you know, there's loads out there. Uh, my question is, I'm not sure if that's needed, and if it's, if so, which ones we pick. So, mm. if, if you don't come, don't just tell us this is what you use and put a vote in for it, but tell us this is actually what you use and you've struggled learning it. That mm. would be helpful for us, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, because my sort of suspicion is actually that's not a overly asked for requirement. So we may never do a third module on that. It used we'll it used to be when there was the you know the, the framework was it used to be, but I think now yeah it's lots of JavaScripty front ends calling REST back ends. Yes. And uh, I'd like to see a course on that. We're debating that. We'll do a we we'll do a double headed course. We'll work on that together and. Yes, yeah, we are. So that might be, because we've never done any kind of JavaScript type stuff. Um, no. And interestingly, the three chapters that, that finish off the, actually it might be four chapters, but the very end of this module, second module, the Ajax, Asynchronous Web Service and so on, all have some JavaScript in. Yeah. And I've purposely done raw JavaScript with no yeah. external frameworks, purely just to focus on, yeah, here's the core good. again of what's underlined. But you're right, nobody in their right mind would not be using a framework. No. So I want to see something on Angular and all these sorts of things yes. in our library. It's a bigger mission. So I'd much rather that than we, we spend six weeks working on a Wicket course when, you know, Wicket's great, but does anyone use it anymore? Yeah. No, I have no sense of that. A few will use it, but yeah. those who use it, probably learned it when you know we're not addressing sure. a need particularly so. so so hopefully web so web one will be out sorry part one of web two will be out uh, three, weeks. three weeks and hopefully within another three weeks after that we'll have obviously i'm going on holiday so yep. something on reactive which is my number one item on my to-do list for okay. the next six weeks pretty much Good. don't know what that's going to come out like it's all in the creative we, I've got people on sitting on bean bags, uh, <laughs> drinking herbal tea, you'll, debating. You'll, you'll have to book our ideas room out for yes, uh, yes, uh, where they have yeah. pebbles and stones. <laughs> and right. Anyway, enough. It's um, been fun shooting the breeze on design patents, yes. and um, we need a topic for two weeks' time. We'll think of, uh, not two weeks, but it'll be because you're on holiday. On but holiday, so it'll probably be three weeks. We'll three see weeks how we get podcast. On. Um, but I'm now going to go and work out how we update our RSS feeds and hopefully get iTunes to pick it up. Um, if you're out there listening through iTunes, make sure you've subscribed so that we can see those numbers go up, please. That'll help us. Yep. Uh, and also on TuneIn and Stitcher. They're the other places where you can currently subscribe and hopefully over time we'll get it on more of those, I can't remember what they call them now, distribution channels for now we'll do. Uh, But thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us again. And uh, hopefully see you at the next one. See you next time.